Welcome to Doing Time with Joe, a show of cautionary true stories about life inside prison. I'm your host and narrator, Joe Baker, and today's story is titled, When Someone You Love Dies When You're in Prison. The story you're about to hear is true. It is either a personal account of mine, or it was told to me by someone I believe to be telling the truth. The name of the participants have been changed to protect the guilty. Pain is almost unbearable. You think that this can't be true. If only I would have been there. Maybe, just maybe, I could have done something. As the tears roll down your face, you realize that what matters is gone and you can't even pay your last respects because you're in prison. The anger sets in, but it won't change anything. The next morning you get up and pretend that you're okay. Now, since I've been in prison, I've lost... Uh, my father and both of my grandmothers and it's almost indescribable uh, uh, the pain that I feel Uh, I remember when my father was uh, about to pass away Uh, I was the chaplain's aide and they had arranged for me to be taken to the hospice house to see him one last time and they called me, I, I was off work, and the call came in about 6 that night. And the chaplain called the unit and told the officer to tell me to report back to the uh, chapel. So when I got back to the chapel, church was going on. But when I walked in, I was trying to be respectful of the pastor, so I turned the doorknob real slow and opened it. I didn't want to make any noise. But... Everybody had turned and was looking at me, and it was silence. I mean silence. And I'm thinking, what is going on? You know what I'm saying? And when I got in there, you know, uh, the uh, pastor was in there, the chaplain was in there, and he told me to have a seat real quick, and he pulled the door up. And he came out, and, well, before he pulled the door up, he came out and he said something to, you know, the people in the church area and shut the door. So we were sitting in there. And uh, I don't hear any noise. The pastor that was there, the guest pastor that was there, didn't start preaching again or nothing. It's just silence in the whole building. And the chaplain started to tell me that, um, you know, he got a call from uh, my sister. Um, It was my sister or my uncle, one of them. And that my father uh, didn't have long to live. And I said, uh, okay. And uh, he looked at me. He said that uh, we're going to try to get you down to see him at the hospice house. And uh, so you need to be ready in the morning. I said, okay. And I'm sitting there, but I felt like, you know, my my body, I, I just couldn't move. So when he said, Is, you want to talk about it, anything like that, I just stared at him and I started crying. And he leaned forward and put his arms around me and and told me, you know, look, it's going to be okay. He said, "Uh, you know, uh, I wish we had more time to talk tonight. He said, you can stay up here as late as you want, you know what I'm saying, until it's time for lockdown. But he said, "Uh, you know, we can talk more about this, you know, after you get back, you know, from uh, seeing your father. So I sat there for a minute and cried a little bit more and, and, uh, 
He said, you want to try to call him? And I was like, yeah. So he called, you know, the house, you know, and uh, my family member, one of my family members answered the phone and I talked to them and I was trying to find out what was going on. And they basically repeated what uh, the chaplain had told me. And I said, I mean, how do they know he's, you know, he doesn't have much time left to live? I mean, who knows that? You know what I mean? And my uncle said that it's it's just not good. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we talked for a few more minutes, but it was more confusion than anything to me. So when we got off the phone, I just sat there and I just cried. And I'm like, man, dang. You know, then I finally got my bearings and I walked back to the unit. And as I walked through the, the chapel, it's like everybody was staring at me. And I knew then that they probably knew when I came in you know, when I came up there, they probably already knew, you know what I'm saying, that uh, I was coming up there to get bad news. So, And everybody on the compound knew me, so I wasn't tripping about that. You know, it's just, it made me feel some type of way to where it's like, you know, I don't know. You know, it was just a hard moment for me. And when I got back to the unit, my celly, you know, I don't know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? I walk in, I'm trying to explain to him I'm babbling and I'm like man my dad is gonna die and he was like what and I was like yeah I said they just called me up and told me they're gonna take me to the hospital's house to see him tomorrow my dad is gonna die so I laid on the bottom bunk and my Sally being you know the type of person that he is he's trying the best way he can to console me I see his arm drop down you know from the top bunk and he's got a joint and you know I grab the joint, and I look out the window, you know what I'm saying, and I don't see the police, but I'm in the zone, because normally if if we were going to do something like that, we put a towel under the door, you know what I'm saying, seal off the door to make sure no smell could get out, put some powders in the air, whatever, and then blaze up, right? I wasn't thinking nothing about that, you know what I'm saying? I fired it up. We in there smoking, smoking. He kept pulling out joint after joint, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm smoking and crying, smoking and crying, you know what I'm saying? And uh, that's the only way he knew to try to console me, you know what I'm saying? Trying to make me forget about it, you know what I'm saying? Take me away for a minute, but it did not work. We smoking. The police done walked by three, four times. It's part of the cloud up in there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, he can't see nothing, man. He he on the door, he got his hand up looking like he's looking through the fog trying to see it. I just wave at him because at this point, I don't care. I'm high. My daddy finna die. What you gonna do? You know what I'm saying? And uh, he didn't say nothing. He went on about his bed and sat down. We fell asleep. About 3.30 in the morning, he knocked on that door. So y'all need to get on up. You know what it is. You're getting a piss test. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now oh, keep in mind, here's the man. thing. Here's, here's the thing. My cell going up for parole that morning. I'm getting ready to go to Nashville to see my daddy. Right? But before any of that happens, we going up here to take a piss test. I, I know I'm through. Because we've been smoking all night. And he's through too. So we start drinking water. We drinking plenty of water. But we can't piss. Got to get that piss off. You know what I'm saying? Couldn't piss. Get up there. Flodging. Sneak into the restroom. Get a couple of pisses off. Now the piss is clear. I'm, I done got in the back of the line. I got to go again. Because we've been drinking so much water. I'm ready now. But now I got to hold it. Because the line is long. I don't want to the back of the line. So he let y'all finish what y'all was doing. Oh, he didn't interrupt us because he knew the circumstances. He didn't interrupt us. 
But then he went and turned in. So he, he turned us in. So and then the next officer that came on, he was he played the bad guy. Oh, yeah. Man. So yeah, we had to go up there and get it. You know what I'm saying? So we get up there, and I sit right down in front of Internal Affairs. The guy that's running Internal Affairs. He said, "Joe, I saw, I'm sorry about what happened. You know what's happening. I know you got to get ready to go down to Nashville and see your pops." He said, "But uh." need this sample from you before you go. I said, all right. So I get up, I go on in the restroom. About that time, my celly coming out, he got piss in the cup. Oh, it looks like water. Oh, I start laughing. I said, oh, I know he's straight. Now, while I'm in there pissing, the door is open. I can hear him. He said, man, ain't no way I feel. <laughs> he hit. Hey, he hit. Oh, so now man. I'm nervous because I'm like, dang, it's clear. The piss is clear. Oh, I said, we must have been smoking too much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I come after my cup. It's clear. I sit back down in front of Turn the Fair. He said, oh, the car is waiting on you. You got about 15 minutes. He said, you want to sit here and watch it or you want to trust me? I said, nah, man, I'm sitting here watching this, man. I said, I, you said 15 minutes. I got 10 minutes. I'm going to watch you, and if it ain't turned in 10 minutes, then i go. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it turned in five. Failed. What? It was positive. What? Positive for THC, man. And he, he said, well, I'm going to wrap this up and send it to the lab. Unless you want to go on and just do it now. He said, because if I send it to the lab, it's going to be $35. I said, man, send it to the lab, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm taking my chances, right? So he sent it to the lab. So I had to rush out, and uh, they got me down to intake, and I got in the van. And, you know, they cuffed me and all this and that, and we're on our way to Nashville. We get down to Nashville, and they find the hospice house. We go up in there, and uh, my dad is in there, my grandmother's in there. Uh, and I think my, I think my brother was in there. Yeah, I think my brother was in there. So anyway, we get in there, and it's just sadness in the air. You know what I'm saying? I see my dad. He doesn't look like the big strong man that he was the last time I seen him, and uh, which was years ago. Uh, and I'm look, I'm just staring at him. I cannot believe this is going to be the last time that I <clears throat> see my dad alive. And uh, so the officer trying to break, you know what I'm saying, the monotony, right? He said, Joe, go on and tell your daddy what happened. He's trying to get some human. He said, tell your daddy what happened. I look at him like, man, don't do this. Yeah. And he was like, no. He said, tell him. You just failed a piss test. Tell him. So my dad was like, what? I was like, yes, sir. I just failed a piss test. So he's like, boy. He said, look, do something for me. Do this for me. And I said, what is it, daddy? He said, quit smoking until you get out. I looked at him. I said, you know how long it's going to be, man. <laughs> and he just laughed, man. He just laughed. And about that time, you know, my grandma said, get over my knee. Now, I got on handcuffs and shackles. Yeah. And my grandma wants to spank me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I leaned over her knee. She spanked <laughs> me twice. And she said, don't you do that no more. I said, yes, ma'am. So I told my dad, I said, I'm going to quit. You know. And uh, I looked at the police officer. And I, I appreciated what he did. You know what I mean? You know, because we started laughing and talking. You know, and he, he told me some things, you know, he wanted me to know and all this and that. It was a real sad situation. And uh, then we left. After about almost an hour, we left. 
So on the ride back, they were trying to get me to laugh, you know, all this and that. They stopped and got some food and, and trying to feed me. And keep in mind, I've been in prison for years. Ain't nobody that's been locked up turning down no free world food. You oh, know what no. I'm saying? Yeah, they had Burger King. You know oh, what I'm saying? Burger King. <laughs> I couldn't even eat. I couldn't even eat, man. Couldn't even eat. I sit in the back crying the whole way back. You know what I'm saying? And uh, they were like, you know, you still need to eat. They trying to, you know, get me up. Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Get up and eat something. You don't need, don't do that. You know what I'm saying? It's not good for you. This is that. So, as you know, after about an hour and a half of driving, because it takes three hours to get back to where we were at, I finally got my appetite. I ate. You know, they were talking to me, asking me about my pops and all this and that. You know, just trying to get me to laugh and, you know, think about the good times that, you know, we had and all this and that. You know, good memories, right? You know, trying to distract me. So, we get back to the prison. <laughs> And internal affairs is waiting on me. Waiting on me, man. And anyway, he was like, you still want me to send this to the lab? He said, Joe, you yeah. positive, man. You know, but really, he was trying to see where my mind was at. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I said, man, send it on to the lab, man. I ain't finna be fooling with you. I said, man, take these handcuffs off me, man. So they taking the shackles and handcuffs off. And they was like, well, if you talking crazy like that, you must be okay. You know what I'm saying? So... I walk back to the unit, man. I get in there. I broke down. I'm in the cell. I can't even think straight. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this cannot be happening. You know what I mean? And two months later, he was dead. And somehow or another, they approved for me to go down and be able to pay my last respects, right? So they took me to the funeral home, which was in the hood. And I hadn't seen the hood in over 20 years. And, and we were riding, and, and the way they were driving, they got lost. I got lost. I didn't know where I was at. So I told them, turn here, turn there, just guessing, because based on what I could remember. And we ended up going right past my grandmother's house. And they saw me. They were all out in the yard. There was people out there getting ready for the funeral and all that. And they saw me, and I waved, and they looked. It was like, is that him? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is that him? And they jumped in the car, and they followed us to the funeral home. Now, I'm thinking in my mind, it's over with. They are not going to let me go in here. We finna, get, you know, they're going to put me back in the car and leave. But they didn't. When they got me out of the car, they said, look, Joe, we can leave right now. But don't do nothing silly. I hate for this to turn up. I said, man, I'm not doing anything. You know what I mean? So they took me on in there, man, and I got to kiss my daddy one more time. And, and uh, people that I hadn't seen in 20 years were in there, you know what I mean? And they, they let them come and hug me and all this and that, not to get too close for too long, but I sat there and, you know, and talked to my daddy and got to talk to people that I hadn't even heard from in 20 years or seen in 20 years, you know what I mean? And they hadn't seen me. So, you know, <clears throat> on the way back, I, I felt good, you know. I was like, you know, they, they didn't have to do that for me, you know. We got back to the prison and, you know, I, I feel good about it, you know, and I just, you know, I still cried for a week, you know what I'm saying, off and on, but, you know, I was like, at least I got to pay my last respects, you know what I'm saying, to my pops. And uh, years after that, you know, I lost my grandmother, you know what I'm saying, on my mother's side. Uh, they were not able to get me to the uh, funeral home to pay my last respects. Uh, the rules had changed. 
then my mother, I mean, my grandmother on my father's side, she passed away, and uh, they were not able to take me because the rules had changed. Uh, you have to be a minimum trustee and now to, to go. I think they've changed it all the way back to what, the way it used to be, but at the time that my, both of my grandmothers passed away, you had to be a minimum trustee and uh, to be able to go. Actually, when my mother on my mother, my grandmother, my grandma on my mother's side, they tried to get me down there, but something happened with the transfer. You know what I'm saying? So, How, how important able... do you think it is for, uh, for anybody to have the opportunity to have that time to see their relatives, you know, in their last moments? I think and, it's... Uh, and be able to go to a funeral. I think like it's that. very important. It's, it's like uh, an emotional closure. You know what I'm saying? It's like... You know, you don't feel, see, for me, I felt a lot of guilt, you know, and not being able to, uh, thinking about the possibility. You know, with my father, I was able to go. But with my both of my grandmothers, I felt guilt that I wasn't able to look at them, you know, one last time and tell them that I loved them. Not because... I didn't want to or anything like that, but because the rules had changed. But more more than that, it was because I had done something stupid in my life that put me in a position where when, you know, my family needed me and wanted me there, I couldn't even be there. It was not my decision to make. I had to rely on somebody else deciding for me that I could pay my last respects to my family, you know. And on top of that, I felt guilty because I didn't know if I deserved sympathy or not because of what I had done to be in prison. You know what I'm saying? I committed murder to be here. So I was, I was wrestling with that. Why should anybody care if I'm able to pay my last respects? You know what I'm saying? Based off of what I did, why should I deserve any of that? You know what I mean? And... That was something else that I was dealing with. I think it's very important. I think that, you know, when stuff happens out there in the free world, you know, they got counselors and people that you can talk to. Here, yeah, they do. They got the chaplain you can talk to, but they don't have a lot of time to sit there and talk to you. They'll let you use the phone. They do the best they can. But, man, you know, every time it's happened to me, you know, it's it's been hard for me to get through that, you know what I'm saying, and you can't put all of that weight on your cellar, you know what I mean, because your cellar's dealing with whatever he's dealing with, and it's just like you got to mourn alone, you know what I'm saying, and, and you're going through it, and you just don't know what to do, you know what I'm saying, you just don't know what to do. What I did learn was that, you know, getting on that phone, man, calling your people every time you get an opportunity, and telling them that you love them, that matters, man. That matters because one day you might get up and make that phone call and there's nobody there to answer that call. So you got to always let your people know that you care about them the best way you can. And for me, you know, one of the biggest things that that I lean on as far as, you know, trying to, if if it is such a thing, you know, trying to make amends for to my grandparents for not being able to pay my last respects is I try to do good. I don't want them looking down on me and seeing me not do the right thing. You know what I mean? 
um, it's, it's, it's weird because when, you know, they were alive, it's like that physical body, they can't see what I'm doing. You know what I mean? When they come to visit, they could, you know, find out, but they can't see what I'm doing. Now, in my mind, they could see everything that I'm doing at all times. And, and I think about that and I, and I, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want them to look at me and with disgust. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I think about, you know, them looking at me because my mother is dead. She died when I was seven. I think about all of them looking down on me and I just don't want to disappoint them. You know what I'm saying? It's disappointing enough that I'm here. So I don't want to continue to do things to disappoint them. I try to do the best that I can. And, and that's one of the ways that I've learned to, to cope with it. I, I want to, I don't want to continue to be a disappointment to my loved ones, you know what I'm saying, that have passed away uh, because I believe that they're watching over me and I don't want them watching over me and sitting up there talking, about, look at him, he just, he's still acting a fool, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> I don't want, you know what I mean, yeah, and, and, and uh, I, I really think about it like that and, uh, you know, I miss them and dealing with that in prison is hard and I wish they would do more than what they do, uh, but I appreciate what they do. But I wish they would do more. I, th I think that we do need people that are trained to deal with grief in here. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and again, but that's hard because prison is, this setup is not put together to care about us like that. Such as uh, counselors and therapists. Yeah, trained counselors. Not somebody that would talk to us and say, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking about hurting somebody else? And if you give them an honest answer, either way, you go to the hole. And they'll tell you that they're putting you in the hole for your, your, your safety, you know what yeah. I'm saying, to protect you. And, and that may be true, right? But I'm hurting, and I don't need to be put in a hole. Now, I might ask for it. If I ask to be isolated for a little bit, fine. But if I don't ask for that, that's not what I need. I just need somebody to listen. Or I might just need to be put somewhere. Let me cry for a minute. You know what I'm saying? Let me do that. You know, here, I had to go to the shower. You know what I'm saying? And put soap in my eyes so when I get out, nobody would know that I've been in there crying the whole time. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's hard crying muffled, man. For real. It's hard crying muffled where you, you crying but you can't make a sound. Because you don't want people to hear that. You know what I'm saying? And you don't want to be in your cell crying all the time because you said they get tired of you. You know what I mean? And uh, all that kind of stuff. But it's a hard time in here when uh, somebody that you really care about dies. It's a hard time. But, you know... The good thing is, like I say, you know, it, it, it helps if you talk to your people as much as you can. Write them if you have to, or call them if you can, but stay in touch with your family as much as you can because you never know when that day is going to come, and you always want them to know that you love them. You know what I'm saying? So when and if that day comes before you get out, uh, you can better deal with it. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's helped me, you know, always calling my family, I always tell everybody that I call when I'm getting ready to get off the phone that I love them. I tell them that. And I know sometimes they get tired of me, <laughs> tired of hearing me say that, you know, especially the men in the family. But I tell them I love you, you know what I'm saying? And and don't ever think that I don't, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's what I would like people to come away from this episode with. Uh I want to thank you uh, for listening. Uh, this is the last episode of the season. Uh, I'll be back in a month or so with a new season, new topics. You know what I'm saying? 
and I really appreciate all of you that have downloaded and listened to the show. Uh, there's more to come. There's more to come. And uh, if you have any feedback, holler at me. You know what I'm saying? My email address, you'll see it on the bottom of the screen. Get at me. And if you have anything, any questions, any comments, send them to me. My family will send them to me, and I'll read them, and I might talk about that on the show. You know what I'm saying? And once again, I want to thank you, and thank you for tuning in.